0: Thank you very much, young people. Take your Bible tonight, please, and open to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And we're going to go to chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you can. Not yet, but in a moment. And uh, we'll read only three verses. Now, Jeremiah was a man who stood alone for God in his day. There's the value of one. Wow. You never know the impact that you can have as a believer in your school or in your place of work. You may be the only Christian there. The school, the workplace may be filled with godless people and you are the single, solitary light for Jesus. But it's the value of one. You see, it's when the night Is darkest that the smallest of lights shine the brightest. Jeremiah 31. Would you stand to your feet now if you have that passage? And we'll read together verses 1, 2, 3 and have a word of prayer together. Then you may be seated. All right, let's begin. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. May God bless his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture. Thank you for the entire book of Jeremiah. To uh, read it through, uh, take our time and read it through, is to go on a wonderful journey. Lord, how we thank you for the faithfulness of this one man, who stood against the tide of evil. Oh, it was like a tidal wave, and yet you were with him. Our Heavenly Father, please speak to our hearts tonight and encourage your people. I pray, Father, for those that are having a bit of a tough time, perhaps at work or at home or in their, their health. Maybe some problem with their cash flow, and they're seriously behind in payments. Could be some other form of trial and testing and persecution that they may be going through. Father, help us all tonight to find grace in the wilderness. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Please be seated. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah was written in the last few years when the Jews were still in the city of Jerusalem before the final attack by Babylon and the famous Babylonian captivity, which lasted for 70 years. Jeremiah was an amazing man who loved the Lord and faithfully proclaimed the message God gave him for the Jews, even though at times they did not like the message. And what he had to say. And the Jews, many of them, treated him roughly. And some even wanted to kill Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah himself sometimes didn't even like the message from the Lord. And it broke his heart and caused him to weep. And that's why we know him as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was not a bold preacher like Elijah or John the Baptist. He wasn't that type. He was a man of weakness And when God first called Jeremiah to preach his word, Jeremiah actually protested to the Lord and told the Lord he was unfit to serve him because he was so young. He said, I am but a child. Now that doesn't mean he was seven years of age. He was a growing man, but he felt like a child. But God knew what he was doing and told Jeremiah not to worry. Because He said, I will be with you. Now the same is true today when God calls a man or woman to serve Him. And particularly in the area of soul winning and letting our light shine. Most, all Christians that I know of, want to see other people saved. But it's the fear factor that keeps them personally from sharing Christ and being a soul winner. God calls us all to be soul winners. And basically tells us, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God knows what He's doing when He calls us. And He's called every single one of us to let our little light shine. And to learn to be a soul winner. That's why we have Soul Winners University, folks. If you weren't here yesterday, you can come in two weeks. Saturday, March 30th, 9 o'clock. Not 9.05. 9 o'clock. And be part of Soul Winners University. Get the training. Get the training. You've never taken it before. It will cost you $10. There are six lessons. And really, honestly, you'll be excited. By the time the lessons are over, you'll be excited to try and use your skills for the Lord. Let's be used of the Lord these days, folks. Well, Jeremiah preached a message of woe and judgment to the Jews of Jerusalem. Why? Because the king of Babylon was soon to come and conquer them and take them all away. And yet, within all that judgment, God was going to offer them something unique, something special. He was going to offer them His grace. Like God always does. And this is so important for us to catch tonight. Let this not just be another sermon That might go in one ear and out the other. Let this one catch hold of your heart. There's something here for you tonight. Something very important here was the context of Jeremiah's message. Because it goes actually far beyond the Babylonian captivity. To a future time when Israel will yet again have to go through a time of suffering and judgment. It's called the seven years of tribulation. If you've never heard of it. It's on the prophetic calendar, folks. And it's coming. It's not here yet. It will come and envelop the entire world. I believe, after my years of study of this subject, that central to the theme is Israel. Right now, Israel is still on God's back burner. Although, boy, we can feel the heat off that back burner, I'm telling you. Israel is really in the news. But when the tribulation time begins... Israel will be front row and center, up on the front burner. They will be back where they were. And God will deal with them. The tribulation time is a time you don't want to have anything to do with. If you're here and you're not saved, you're not born again, you need to get born again. Because Jesus is going to come prior to the seven year tribulation and take all of his children out of the world. It's called a rapture, the catching away of all God's people. It's biblical. You won't find it, though, in the Old Testament, and you won't find it in much of the New Testament. It was only revealed to Paul by Christ later on in the Epistles. You won't find it in the Gospel. It was a truth revealed in the Epistles. You'll find it in 1 Corinthians 15. You'll find it in uh, uh, what's the other chapter? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You'll find it there. You'll find it pictured also in the book of Revelation. You'll find it there. You'll find it uh, in Scripture for sure. But the thing is, we need to find Christ first. If you're here tonight and you've never been born again, boy, I tell you, now's your opportunity. After Jesus comes in the clouds, the trumpet sounds, He gathers all His own all over the world, taken up to Him. Everyone on the world's the world surface is unsaved at that point. Everyone left behind is unsaved. The tribulation begins. The clock starts ticking a peace agreement of seven years is signed with the nation Israel. The Antichrist, whom I believe is in the world today. I believe he's alive and well in the world today. And he will really come to the forefront and very quickly begin to take over. Anyhow, that's for another, another sermon. But this coming tribulation is a time when God will purge Israel. It's called a time of Jacob's trouble, referred to as... And um, it's a time when God will win His nation back to Himself. And so this is the context. And here we find God's promise in verse 2. Look at it once again. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found, here it is, grace in the wilderness. God is a God of grace. He is. Hallelujah. What is grace? Grace is when God is pleased to give us good things. That is about as simple a definition of grace as I can give you. There's an acronym that was been, someone came up with it. It was pretty clever. It says, God's riches at Christ's expense. G R A C E. They say that's grace. Well, that's part of what grace is. But the proper and true meaning of grace means that God is pleased and his arms open wide. That's what grace is. And we don't deserve that, folks. We don't deserve that. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be banished from God's sight. Not to be welcomed into His family. That's grace. That's when God is pleased. And He opens His arms wide. And He gives us good things. That is what grace is. I'll give you a good example. In Ephesians 2. For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Hallelujah for grace. That's why we named the church Grace Baptist Church. I want to proclaim tonight that our God is a God who delights to give grace in the wilderness. That's the name of the sermon tonight. Grace in the wilderness. Consider with me the story of when the Jews were called out of Egypt to the promised land. Look at it in chapter 32. Turn a page Chapter 32, and look please at verse 21. Follow with me here. Verse 21, And hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror. Boy, there's awe. And hast given them this land which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it. But they obeyed not thy voice. Neither walked they in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. When Israel came out of Egypt. They had to come through the wilderness. To get into the promised land. If you do the math. You'll find that within about one year of having left Egypt, they could have been in the promised land. They could have been enjoying the land that flowed with milk and honey. But in that year, they disobeyed God vehemently. They set up the golden calf. They, in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, which had been destroyed, decimated by the ten plagues. They longed to go back to Egypt for the, the leeks and the garlic. For the cod liver oil. Oh, how they wanted to go back to the land of Egypt. And yet that was their land of bondage. I just threw in the cod liver oil to see if you were listening to me or not. Well, I think I heard someone say amen there. Cod liver oil. Good for you, folks. Listen, helps prevent sickness. Just got to get over the taste. Yeah, tell me about it. I take a swig out of the bottle every day. I said, oh, cod liver oil. And I get on my face before God to get a good dosage of grace for the day as well too, by the way. You've got to have grace. You really need it. Now here we've got the story of when Israel left Egypt, came into the wilderness, and sinned. And sinned so badly that God was so mad He was going to destroy them all. And of Moses raise up another nation. And Moses stood in the gap and said, No Lord, don't do it. Spare your people. Moses was a prayer warrior. And that's what you and I need to be. We need to be prayer warriors and learn how to get on our knees and pray for lost loved ones. And pray for sinning Christians. And pray for this old world that the gospel would go forth. And pray for this city of Surrey that we might see many come to know Christ as Savior. And pray for missionaries who are taking the gospel to places we can't get to. Oh, we need to be prayer warriors like Moses. Moses prevailed and God held off judgment. But, instead of bringing them into the promised land, He let them rot in the wilderness for 40 years. Till that generation, which was aged 20 years and up, had all died out. On one day, the difference a day can make, I'm telling you. From one day to the next, anyone who was 20 years of age and older... Had to perish in the wilderness. Imagine if that day was your 20th birthday. Right? Wow. Imagine if the next day was your 20th birthday. Oh, thank you Lord. Made it by one day. But literally that's what happened. And so God let them stay there in the desert wilderness. However, for every one of those 40 years, God gave them grace. Oh, He did folks. He really did. He actually gave them grace in the wilderness. Because you see, how do you feed two or three million people in the wilderness? How do you do it? There's no grocery stores. There's no Amazon. Maybe there was an Amazon, but it's not what you think it was. It was someplace else in the world. How do you feed them? How do you clothe them? Well, God knows how to furnish a table in the wilderness. Many of the Jews grumbled and said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They found out. And God fed them with manna. They cried for flesh. He gave them quail. Boy, that's another story. He brought water out of the rock. He gushed it out of the rock and satisfied them. He watched over them. He, he rebuked nations for their sake. The Bible says that even their sandals didn't wear out in 40 years. How old are the shoes on your feet tonight? Are they 40 years old? Hope not. They're probably a few months, a couple of years old, maybe, something like that. Shoes don't last 40 years, folks. Not only that, but it says their feet didn't even swell in those 40 years. Isn't that something? God gives grace. Why was he giving them grace? Because there was another generation that God was raising up. Those that were 19 years, 364 days old, and less, He was raising them up and that was going to be the nation, the generation that was going to cross over into the promised land. And so God was giving them grace. Did you know something? That you may be the only Christian at your work, you may be the only Christian in your school, but because of you, God is giving grace to that place in which you work. God could have put it out of business long ago. God could have closed that school down and boy, some schools are so godless. Some places of business are so wicked. But because you are there, a child of God, God is extending grace. Isn't that something? Even in your home and family, if there's an unsaved one there, God will often extend grace to that unsaved one because of the presence of the saved. Now that's good to know. That's important to know. And so God provided for their every need. Consider also another story that happened a few years later than this. This one here in Jeremiah. It happened, we read in the book of Daniel. There, the Jews were in captivity in Babylon, and there was three men in particular who would not bend, who would not bow. When King Nebuchadnezzar set up his 90-foot-high statue and had the, the whole orchestra and band come with all kinds of musical instruments, and the proclamation was... Folks, when you hear the music, you fall down and bow before this statue. And everyone bowed except three men. You say, whoa, I, I thought there was a lot more than three that Jews that came out of Jerusalem. Boy, there were thousands that came. Well, what happened to the others? They all bent, they all bowed. But these three did not. They did not bend, they did not bow. Nebuchadnezzar, he got upset about this. He was a passionate man. He got very upset. He called them before him. And he said, I'll give you one last chance. And they said, no. We are, we're not, we're not going to bend. We're not going to bow. He said, I will throw you into an oven. That's heated up seven times hotter than what it should be. And so they said, so be it. You know the story. And so the king commanded for that oven to be heated up seven times times hotter how they did it I'm not sure but they must have had bellows in there and you know increased the heat somehow and they bound these three men and they brought them the guards brought them and when the opening the door on the oven was opened and they were throwing the three in the flames leapt out and consumed the guards that threw in the three men It was like a nuclear explosion or something. And they... And the king saw this. And what's more, the king saw the three men, boom, inside. And all of a sudden, it wasn't three anymore, was it? Because God gives grace in the wilderness. You say, a fiery furnace is a wilderness? Well, it was for those guys, wasn't it? And the king couldn't believe his eyes. He rubbed his eyes and he grabbed his his right hand man and said, did not we throw three men in there? Yes, O king. Well, I see a fourth. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. And those three guys were walking around. Can you just imagine what they must have experienced? Walking around in there with Jesus. God gives grace. Isn't that the truth? He gives grace. What a story these guys had to tell. When they finally came out, because the king begged them to come out, Maybe they didn't want to come out. Maybe they thought, hey, why don't you come in here with us? (laughs) Did you know your prayer closet is a little bit like that? Did you know that? When you get alone with Jesus, you know, sin cannot enter. Did you know that? If you're here tonight and you've got sins that you're struggling with, you've got bad habits, maybe habits of uh, speech, you say things you you know are wrong. (laughs) Maybe you've got bad habits of uh, you, you uh, put things in your body you know are wrong. Maybe you've got bad habits of, with the eyes and you look upon things you know you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe you've got bad habits in the heart and there's some greeds in there that you know are not right, but you feel helpless and hopeless. They seem to overcome you. Get into the furnace. Get into the presence of the Son of God because these habits Die. King Nebuchadnezzar, with all his mighty power, could not cross the threshold and enter into where those three men were. He would have died. And your sin and bad habit cannot live when you get alone with Jesus in your prayer closet. Boy, I encourage you to have a prayer closet. Start tomorrow morning. Oh, listen, it's a wonderful time. It's peaceful and quiet. I was up this morning at four-something, and I got alone with the Lord I prayed so much for today and for you folks and for God's protection and for God's power upon our services. And I prayed for the baptismal service this morning. I prayed for lost people. I prayed for sick people. It's just a wonderful, wonderful time to get alone with Jesus in the prayer closet. But think of these three men that were thrown into a a fiery wilderness God gives grace in the wilderness. Aren't you glad? I want to proclaim tonight that God is a God of love and He delights. It's not that He begrudgingly gives. He's excited. He wants to. He delights in giving grace in the wilderness. Hallelujah for that. Now a wilderness is a barren, deserted piece of land. It's a wilderness. It cannot be cultivated. It cannot be turned into a beautiful garden. It's inhabited uh, I'm sorry, we, we would say it's uninhabited inhabited I think is the proper English I think but why? because you can't cultivate it you can't live there maybe if you were an old hoot owl or something you might be able to survive in the wilderness but a human cannot and there are many times in our lives when life feels like a wilderness what I mean by that is blessings are few Troubles are many. And God seems kind of distant. But I want you to know that this is a common experience for every Christian. If you're here tonight and you're saved. And you've been going through a wilderness kind of experience. Join the club. Because that's part and parcel of our calling. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to come upon you. As if some strange thing happened. Take your Bible, please, and turn to the New Testament, to the book of 2 Corinthians. Go there quickly with me if you can. 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. We're going to look at a wilderness experience that Paul went through. <clears throat> Chapter 12 of 2nd Corinthians. And verse number 7. Paul wrote and said. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Pause for a moment. This thorn is not a sin. This thorn is not a bad habit. I think I told you that. When I was saved back in 1975, I think it was 75, maybe it was 1976 when this happened. I was saved in 75, but it could have been 1976 when this happened. But a Christian man visited the little church there that, that we were in. He was a visitor there, I think from the Toronto area. And I got talking to him, sharing my testimony, and he was telling me and, about uh, his life a little bit, and what he, he did there. And he quoted this verse here. And he said that he too has a thorn in the flesh. And uh, he said it's a particular sin, he said, that I have to live with. And at that time he ran his hand up and down my back. And I just had the strangest urge to jump out of my skin. And to run out of that room and get away from that guy. And I'm not, I, I can't tell you 100% what he, he was trying to tell me, but I, I don't think it was anything nice. He seemed to say that he had a particular sin, and he referred to it as a thorn in the flesh. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight that God doesn't give sins. God will give thorns, but He won't give sins. This wasn't a sin. Paul didn't have some kind of sinful habit, or sin of the mind, or sin of the eyes, or sin of the hand, or sin of the foot. It wasn't... Some kind of sin down at the tavern where, where Paul would go there in dark nights and, and, and put things in his body and consume things or maybe things uh, uh, with a needle in his arm. That's not the thorn in the flesh. The thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. Some feel it was his poor eyesight. Others feel it was all of the trial and tribulations he had to go through. Because it says, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. The word buffet means to smack right in the face. That's how Paul felt that it was coming across. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Pause for a moment. If I were to ask you tonight, do you have a thorn in the flesh? Do you have a particular weakness? Maybe it's a, um, um, a weakness of your body where you get sick easy. Maybe it's something to do with your, your, your muscles or your, your skeleton or something to do with your health. Maybe it's some kind of uh, thing to do with your mind and you have, you have a, a, a problem concentrating perhaps or trouble sleeping at night or some kind of uh, thorn like that. Apparently, that's not such a bad thing. According to this verse here, it's because of that thorn making you weak that God is able to come along and be strong in you. Whereby your words and your testimony and your deeds and your ministries for Christ are far, far superior and far stronger than if you'd been Totally in body health, the pink of health, the peak of health. You know, one of these specimens to look at of health. And yet be absolutely useless for the Lord. So if you have some kind of physical weakness, because I think that's the context here, you should thank the Lord for it, folks. If you look in the mirror and you think that it's an ugly work of art... Oh, everyone's so pretty and handsome and good-looking, and then look at me. You know, every one of us here look good. Oh, you're not me, someone says. Oh, yes, you do. You've never seen pictures of the elephant man, have you? Have you? You've never seen pictures of that man over in India who's still alive today. He's got some kind of disease. I forgot the scientific name for it, but his skin has turned into... You know what barnacles are on the, on the hull of a ship? Have you ever seen that? Those little crustacean things that stick to the hull of a ship and they, they grow and multiply and it's ghastly looking. His skin looks like that. All over his body. His face. That's what he looks like. You look good. You really look good tonight. You need to take a look and see what others have to go through. You're not doing too bad. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote, he continues, he says, most gladly, end of verse 9, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities, here's why, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't advocate that you go and do physical harm to yourself, but if you're in an accident or if you're born some way and you've got some kind of problem particularly some physical kind of problem, or you think you don't look very pretty or something like that, you just thank the Lord because God has, God has made you the way you are so that He can be more than your sufficiency. You need just a glory, glory in your infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon you and give you great power. Verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Folks, that's the wilderness. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul was given grace in the wilderness. When Christians go through fiery trials and persecutions, God does not forsake his children. You've got his promise on it in Hebrews 13:5. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. God gives grace in the wilderness. Hallelujah for that. Now many of you here today have been through wilderness experiences. Many of you have. I know because you've shared it with me. You could stand and you could give testimony of the troubles you've gone through. And how the dark days were more than few. And they overshadowed your head. And how it seemed the devil himself was tempting you and discouraging you. And yet, somehow, you got through. You live to tell about it. You got through. And as you look back on the wilderness, you realize God has given you grace. You had grace to get through. God gives grace in the wilderness. Back in 1945, World War II had pretty much drawn to a close. And the world was in rough shape. I'm thankful I wasn't living in those days. But a young German soldier by the name of Jürgen Moltmann was. He sat broken, devastated, inside of a POW camp. POW means prisoner of war. Jürgen was only 19 years old when he was drafted into Hitler's army. As I'm told by eyewitnesses, Hitler had an incentive program for getting young people to join his army. Into a town square he would back up a truck or have his men back up a truck that had a noose hanging on the back of the truck and the announcement was made who does not want to join the army what an incentive plan to join the army i don't know if jürgen faced the noose but he was pressured in 1944 to join he was 18 years of age and he was forced to join the army 1945, he's 19 years old. And he's sitting absolutely devastated in a prisoner of war camp in Scotland. He learned how the cities of his homeland, his hometown was a town called Hamburg in Germany, maybe you've heard of it. And how his homeland had been reduced to rubble. How the people were impoverished. His sleep... Night after night was filled with repeating nightmares in which the terrors of warfare and the little he had seen were lived over and over in his dreams. It was September of that year when men came to Jürgen's POW camp and showed him and the others photographs of Hitler's concentration camps where the Jews had been murdered. Slowly, Jürgen and the other German soldier prisoners began to realize the horrifying truth Of what the Nazis had been doing. Depression and shame filled Jürgen's heart. And it seemed like it was a stranglehold. Choking the very life out of his body. And yet it was in the midst of all this shame and despair. That God found Jürgen. A visiting chaplain gave Jürgen a Bible. In fact it was a New Testament and Psalms is what it was. And with little else to do Jürgen began reading in the psalms he could almost hear the voices of the jews in agony who felt that god had abandoned them in the story of christ crucified jürgen read about how god himself knew what it was like to experience suffering and abandonment and shame and feeling absolutely utterly forsaken himself there in the pow camp jürgen found christ and got saved In 1947, Jürgen was given permission to attend a Christian conference in England that brought together young people from around the world. The Dutch participants asked to meet with the German POWs who had fought in the Netherlands. Young Jürgen was one of them. He went to this meeting full of fear and guilt and shame. The feelings intensified as the Dutch Christians spoke of the pain that Hitler and his allies had inflicted, of the dreaded Gestapo police, of the family and friends that they had lost, of the disruption and the damage to their communities. And yet, the Dutch Christians didn't speak out of a spirit of vindictiveness, but they came to offer forgiveness. It was completely unexpected. These Dutch Christians embodied the love that Jürgen had only only read about in the story of Christ. And it turned his life upside down. And truly, Jürgen was discovering God's grace in the wilderness. And there was hope for the future. Now, as a side note, Jürgen Moltmann went on to live his life for Jesus Christ. He went to Bible college and graduated. He pastored a church for a number of years. And then he went to teach at a Bible college where he spent the rest of his life serving the Lord, teaching and training Christians for God's work. And Jürgen is still alive today. He's 92. What a story of God's grace in the wilderness. Amen? When a Christian goes through a wilderness experience, when the resources are weak or non-existent, and trouble is on every hand, And God seems distant, if not absent. It's then that God offers us something special. Something unique. It's called grace in the wilderness. No matter how dark your future may look. No matter how desperate you may feel. No matter how rough the wilderness is around you. God is still on the throne. And He always will give grace. In the wilderness. Some years ago a Christian woman by the name of Mary Fishback Powers. Wrote a poem that has gone around the world. I'll read it for you. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest of times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said... Once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. But here's a question. Is grace in the wilderness available for backslidden Christians? I think we'd all agree it's available for faithful Christians. But what about backslidden Christians? What about Christians who've been living their lives for the world and not for God? What about Christians that have turned their back on God and have not been faithful to God and have turned their face more toward the world and their back more toward God? Is there grace for them? The answer is yes, but only if they will look to God for it backslidden Christians need to get right with God you say oh those backsliders oh they're the most wicked they they never come to church they never read the Bible they never pray I got news for you folks a lot of backslidden Christians read the Bible pray and come to church and they're backslidden What about someone who is not part of God's family? Someone who is not saved. Is there grace available for them? Well the answer is yes. But there is only one kind of grace available for those who are not yet born again. Those who are not yet part of God's family. There is only one kind of grace. And that is called saving grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Do you need grace in the wilderness tonight? Let's all stand to our feet.